This afternoon, congregation, we deal with Lord's Day 5 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 5. There, the church has summarized the Word of God uh, as follows uh, concerning uh, our deliverance, the first Lord's Day about our deliverance. It has summarized the Word of God as follows there. Since according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment, how can we escape this punishment and be again received into favor? God demands that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, we must make full payment either by ourselves or through another. Can we by ourselves make this payment? Certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Can any mere creature pay for us? No. In the first place, God will not punish another creature for the sin which man has committed. Furthermore, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. What kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? One who is a true and righteous man and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is at the same time true God. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ and boys and girls, you belong to the Lord. The way of peace they have not known, it says in Isaiah 59, verse 8. The way of peace they have not known. Way of peace, think of um, the tension between the Israelis and the Palestinians and how often those uh, two parties haven't tried to find the way to peace. Try to make a peace plan only for that plan to fall apart again every time and time again. Differences too great, no trust. Even when it seemed there was some progress, all at once there was shooting or a bomb or so, and the whole path to peace fell apart again. The parties don't seem to be able to find the way of peace. Or think of the Assad government and the rebels in Syria, how there doesn't seem to be anybody at all in the world who can get them, those two parties, to the table to even talk about a way to peace. The way of peace they do not know. Well, that's actually what Lord's Day 5 is about. The way of peace. Peace between God and us. Is there a way that it can come to peace between God and us? Is there a way we can escape God's just punishment for sin and be received into favor again by God? And then, you know, then following this Lord's Day, a couple of possible paths to peace. Can we pay? Can we... Can we somehow find a way to make it right? Can another creature pay? Can, can another created thing here on earth find a way or maybe an angel? 
But those ways to peace are shown in Lord's Day 5 to be dead ends. There's this huge gap between what God requires of us and what we can do, what we achieve. We cannot pay what we owe God. And our debt, because of our sins and shortcomings, only gets greater and greater, makes that gap even wider all the time. And there's no creature on earth who can fulfill God's requirements for us and deliver us from His wrath against our sins, who can make things just between God and us again. God is unreachable for us. Is there a way to peace with God for sinners like us? And you know, actually, Isaiah 59 and Lord's Day 5, you could kind of read them together on top of each other. They actually speak about that same issue. And with that in mind, I proclaim to you the Word of God as we confess that in Lord's Day 5 in the light of Isaiah 59 with this theme, the way of peace. We see three things. That way is lost. There's a hand that made it known. And three, a covenant that keeps it. First of all, the way of peace is lost. Congregation, when it comes down to it, I do not think we'll ever fully understand here how desperate our situation is before God because of our fall into sin and because of our continuing sinfulness. And maybe that's a good thing. We despair. We'd fall, sink into despair if we really saw the full depth of it all, how, how wide that gap was. It's something we confess, but we don't always feel, and maybe mercifully so, that God hides that from us. And life can go on here. And then life does go on, and we don't really feel that guilty, really. We all remember things we did wrong in the past, but it's not all that awful with us, is it? It doesn't seem like we're destined for eternal wrath of ourselves, that things are completely broken of themselves between God and us. But that's what God has revealed to us in His Holy Word. God has shown it to us in His Word, and, and we do see the effects of our sin in the world around us, in us and in the world around us, a lot of brokenness and trouble and struggle. Isaiah brings that kind of, those kinds of things to the fore in the chapter we read. And the sad thing that there's, a, a, there's quite often a tendency to blame God for it too yet. Where, where is God? How can he let those things happen? How can he let this happen in my life? There are even theologians today who say that God can't really do anything about sin and its effects. He suffers under the brokenness there is in the world too and in our lives. He can't do much about it. And you know, that's actually what people were thinking in Isaiah's days too, the people of Israel. The Lord can't help. The Lord can't deliver. The Lord can't fix this. He can't help, save, 
like the man walking along the seashore last week in the British Isles who was unable to reach four men in a helicopter which had crashed and overturned in the water there. There were just a few feet from him on shore, but his hand just didn't quite reach the helicopter so he could open the door and reach them. His hand was too short. But notice how the prophet started the chapter, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. See, that's what they were saying. God's hand is too short. He can't help us in this. He doesn't hear it. He, he doesn't hear us. No, it's not, it's not God's fault that there is so much misery and trouble in the world and in our lives. No. Look at verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You are the problem. You are the problem yourself. God's hand isn't too short. Ours is too short to reach to Him. Way too short. Every way to peace which we try to find from our side is a dead end. They don't know the way of peace, says the prophet, verse 8. They've made themselves crooked paths, and whoever follows, whoever takes that way shall not know peace. So because of our sin, of ourselves, we are like people stumbling around in deep, deep darkness. And you see that is described in verse 9 and following of Isaiah 59. We are, as it were, shut up in a dark cell on death row, desperately looking for a way out, for, for a way that light can come to us in that dark cell. You imagine that prisoner frantically, you know, feeling the walls of that cell in the darkness to see if there's a crack or a loose stone or a tiny hole through which he can kind of maybe wiggle things and get a little bit of light in his desperate situation. But it's no use. He's stuck in the dark. Verse 10. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight. We are as dead men in desolate places. Pretty hopeless. Hopeless if we have to bring about peace with God by ourselves. We can't make peace by our own efforts or good intentions, this means. The way of peace is unattainable to us, unknown. Can we by ourselves make this payment? Certainly not. On the contrary, we daily increase our debt. There is a way to peace outside of ourselves, though. But that means confessing our sins before God, as the prophet does in verse 12. Our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us, he says. That's when you realize that, that, that it has to be outside of yourself. Then you are ready to receive the peace that comes from God. 
because that's the way to Jesus Christ, who is the way, the way to peace. We can't find a way out ourselves. We're stuck in darkness on death row. God himself provided salvation for those who acknowledge their sins and reach out to Jesus Christ, his son. And that brings us to the second point of the sermon, the hand that made known the way of peace. The prophet says in verse 16 that the Lord saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Now that word wondered in Isaiah 59, he wondered that there was no intercessor. It, it actually, the NIV has a, a better translation here that he was, he was shocked and appalled that there was no one to mediate. It's a much more emotional word used there. He was shocked. We don't have to do here with an unemotional God, but one with heart and emotion, a God who sees us and is moved by how stuck his people have become because of their sins and sinfulness. No one to intercede for them. Nobody. No mediator to be able to reconcile them to him. But don't think that God is just going to sit back and not do anything. And don't think that he can't do anything about the situation of his people. That is, his hand is shortened. And don't think either that the Catechism in Lord's Day 5 comes to the mediator we need by means of a whole process of logical reasoning either that Every way of peace is then investigated by, with, until only one possibility remains. You know, tick this one off, this is not going to work. Oh, we'll try this one, this is not going to work, try that one. No. This is not a logical process. What kind of mediator and deliverer must we then seek? We don't come to the mediator we need, true righteous man, at the same time true God, by a process of deductive reasoning. This won't do, that one can't help, and so on, until we come to God's Son in the flesh. No. We'd never, ever have come to God's Son in the flesh then. We've nev we'd never have come to the mediator and deliverer we so desperately need by, by reasoning in our own minds. No, God himself could only come up with this mediator, the one we need, the one who could intercede for his people. Only the Lord God could come up with, with him and make a plan for the way of peace and make that known to us. Only him. And he made him known before we even knew we needed him. Even before we needed him, we knew we needed him. And we confessed him already in Lord's Day 1 our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has paid for all my sins with his precious blood and delivered me from all the power of the devil. No one on earth would ever have dreamed up a way to peace with God like that, much less brought it about. Only God could do that. And then only a God who is love, who loves sinners, who cry out. And that's why, as Isaiah says in verse 16, he was so appalled, so upset, 
that out of himself or herself not a single person would choose for him. They only continued in their sins and they, they made their debt greater all the time. The gap between him and his people only got wider and wider, so wide that nobody on earth could cross it and come to God anymore. And that's actually what Lord's Day 5 and 6 want to emphasize. There is only one and one way only to peace with God. And that's not a way we could ever figure out or work out ourselves. No man could have dreamt this up. Only God could ever come up with that way. And only God could work it out by sending his only son in our flesh to take on himself the punishment we deserve in order to deliver us and make peace for us with God. And you know, you see the outlines of that way of peace then described in Isaiah 59 in that surprising turn of things in verse 16. You'll see that right halfway through verse 15 in Isaiah 59, there's a gap. And then, and then it says, The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. But then verse 16 continues, beautiful. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him. God's own arm brought salvation for him. And his own righteousness, it sustained him. When God saw there was no way for his people to ever pay their debt, his own arm worked that salvation for them. And his own righteousness drove him to do that. And we see here his, his arm was not too short. His hand was not too short. And then follows in verse 17 and following the description of how God did that. And you see kind of in that description, verse 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and helmet of salvation and so on. You see a kind of a warrior pictured there. Breastplate, helmet, uniform. And you might think, well, this doesn't match the Savior Jesus at all. Laid in a manger and condemned by Pilate and mocked and nailed to a cross in Golgotha as he was praying for his enemies. But this, this is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul quotes Isaiah 59 liberally in the book of Romans. And he also quotes it concerning Jesus Christ. This is about Christ. And notice how his equipment is portrayed, a breastplate of righteousness. That means that God's justice is satisfied and that Satan, the accuser, is robbed of his ability to accuse God's people. And so God's justice is satisfied then. And hence that helmet of salvation, he works that full and glorious salvation. He comes and he brings it. No one can stop him. And he brings it fully in garments of vengeance that comes with justice. While those who belong to this Savior are saved, he will wreak vengeance on those who despise that salvation and continue in their sins. And finally, that cloak of zeal, verse 17, the Lord was driven by zeal, zeal for God's house consumed him. God's people 
consumed Jesus so that he fully finished their salvation, even when it brought him to the cross and to God forsakenness there. Break this house down, I will build it in, in three days. Jesus conquered sin and Satan and death as a result of sin. God's hand was not shortened. He, he has made known the way of peace in his son, Jesus Christ. Glorious peace between himself and those who belong to Christ. The peace we can rest in here today on this day of rest, as long as Jesus lives in us then too. And notice too how in verse 20 the prophet talks about the Redeemer coming out of Zion. You know what a Redeemer was in the Old Testament. Think of Boaz and Ruth in the book of Ruth. Boaz, the Redeemer. A Redeemer was someone who stood up for a person like a widow who had ended up all alone and who had lost all her possessions and ended up poor. A Redeemer would re defend the rights of, of such a person, would back, buy, buy back their inheritance Restore their inheritance in Israel, God's covenant nation, while so God's Son in our flesh stood up for his people, and he bought them back for God with his precious blood and gave them back to his Father. And so we who belong to Christ now also share in the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven and everlasting life in that kingdom. Share in the peace and joy of that kingdom. Isaiah therefore also gives the answer to that oppressive question posed in Lord's Day 5, since according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. How can we escape that punishment and be again received into favor? What is the way of peace? Well, it's not in us. It's not in us. Don't look anywhere else in this world. Don't bother. Look, look to God himself, to his grace in Jesus Christ, his son. And in him we see that the Lord's hand is not shortened. His hand is able to reach across the gap to save us. And that hand never lets go. And that brings us to the last point of the sermon this afternoon, the covenant that keeps the way of peace when there's a falling out between two people, you can do everything you can to make peace and to keep that peace. That's good, of course, because the Lord Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We, we should be peacemakers. But it can be very hard to make peace, especially if there's mistrust or unwillingness on one or both sides. Think of the peace processes going on in the Middle East, as we mentioned. And we all have our experiences with conflicts and broken relationships, right? Trying to make peace. But congregation, when God resolves conflicts, when he heals what is broken, then he does that so well that it's fixed for good, that it's peace for good. Look at the end of Isaiah 59, the last verse. The end. He says, God established a new and everlasting covenant with his people. 
a new and better covenant. It says in the letter to the Hebrews. Not a different covenant, but the same covenant administered with better promises in a better way. A covenant which is anchored in the heart by God's Spirit. When people make peace, you see, that peace only remains if it's heartfelt peace. If it's rooted in the hearts. And that means if there's trust on both sides then. If there's a real desire to get along together and to work with one another. If the heart is not in it like that, then it's not going to take much to blow that peace up again and to end up with conflict all over again. Or to end up with what's called peace but is actually just a standoff. You just avoid each other. Don't communicate with each other. That's not peace. Real peace. No, God's way of peace brings about a peace that is real and that lasts because it's a peace that's ultimately rooted in the heart in love. We have that peace if we embrace His Son, Jesus Christ, in true faith and love worked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And if we let, let His Spirit live and work in us, then God promises that His words which He has put in our mouths, words of faith, will not depart from our mouths, nor from the mouths of our descendants, nor from the mouths of our descendants' descendants from this time and forevermore. I believe in the way of peace God has worked by His mighty hand, by His own arm, by Jesus Christ. You believe that way too, don't you? That's what we confess here. That way to peace. Well then, the peace of God which passes understanding will fill your hearts and minds and bring you to do all you can to pass that on to your children too and your children's children. Amen. Let's sing in response to the proclamation, Psalm 77, stanza 5.